0: So we're um, going to be reading from verse 1 through to verse 17. So now hear God's word. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went away to another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed and again he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully and he sent another and they killed and him they killed And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed, he had still another, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anybody's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. God's. And they marveled at him. Well, we certainly ask God to bless the reading of his word to us. (coughs) The message here is fairly straightforward and fairly simple, but because it's a parable, there is an inherent uh, difficulty. Not because it's difficult, but parables were given to test the level of perception of the hearer. So when someone speaks in a riddle and another person gets it, it's testing their level of perception to see whether or not they can get it. Let me put it in a slightly different way. Um, if I told you a joke and then you didn't laugh after I told you the punchline, there's there could only be two, possible, two possibilities. Either it's a really poor joke, which probably would be the case, or it's a really funny joke, you just didn't get it. Not because you don't have a sense of humour, but because you just don't get it. Many times when Jesus tells parables, on the odd occasion, you get the disciple saying to Jesus, you haven't got a clue what you've just said. For Jesus, having to explain the parable is a bit like having to explain the punchline to a joke. You've not perceived why it's funny. You've not perceived why it's true. When Jesus speaks in parables, even to us who read them today, Jesus is testing your level of perception. He's wondering whether or not you have ears to hear and eyes to see. Remember, we've sung about worship, and remember, we become what we worship. Isaiah 6, Jeremiah 2, Psalm 115, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. What we behold, we become. And the reason why Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear, hear, and let him who has eyes to see, is because he's making reference to idols. The people in the Old Testament who chopped down trees and made idols that had ears but couldn't hear, that had eyes but couldn't see. And so when they began to worship these things, they became like what they worshipped and therefore had ears that couldn't hear and eyes that couldn't see the things of God. Very important. We worship Jesus Because we need to be able to perceive the things of God. And when Jesus is not the object of our worship, then we are unable to perceive the things that Jesus is teaching us. Parables is Jesus sifting not only our level of perception, but I guess really whether or not we are worshipping God. Really important. Really, really important. There's also a lot of history to parables, especially here with the vineyard and vineyard owners. It's said in the context of the Old Testament, and it's said in the context of Israel. And by Israel, I don't mean the country Israel, which could be understood that way. Rather, I mean the people of God. Israel understood here is the people of God. The other thing here, worship, is to, as I've already said, to promote um, your spiritual senses. And when you fail to worship God as God ought to be worshipped, you spiritually malfunction. You cannot see the things that Jesus wants you to see. You cannot hear the things that Jesus wants you to hear. He says, let him who have ears hear. But there becomes a spiritual sensory malfunction because you're worshipping other things other than God. What you love um, is not actually God. It's a simple way to test this. And that would be that what is the what is the one thing that if it was taken from you right this minute you wouldn't want to live tomorrow well whatever it is that's what you worship now the question is did jesus come to your mind now suddenly the things that we love that we say we love aren't actually the things that we actually love this is getting near to the bone of this parable When God created us to worship him, he created us to worship him in God's ways. Really important to worship God in God's ways. And this is something that Jesus has already had to deal with in the temple. You remember, he goes into the temple uh, already having looked at the fig tree that's in leaf, but doesn't bear any fruit. Here's the indication about what's going to come. Jesus curses the fig tree. Why? Because it should have borne fruit and it didn't. And what do you you find when he goes into the temple? Well, you you should expect to find fruit, spiritual fruit, worship, prayer. The only thing is, Jesus gets into the temple and he finds people buying and selling things, such is the anger of Jesus because they're robbing God. God deserves to be worshipped. Go read Romans 15. The whole point of evangelism is not actually because a person needs saving, but rather because God deserves to be worshipped. And that's the only thing that'll keep you motivated to keep sharing the gospel. Because if, you, if your gospel is man-centered, that man needs saving, there are some people that you can be so fed up with that you'd never get round to sharing the gospel with them. Rather, when you understand that the gospel is to make true worshipers for God, Romans 15, you, right? what you're doing is, is for God, not for them. So, your motivation, because God doesn't change, even though they might, your motivation keeps going. Really important. So, this issue of worship is central to the Old and the New Testament. Jesus throws over the tables because the people are robbing God. God deserves to be worshipped, He deserves to be prayed to, which is actually for the people's benefit. And so, not only are they robbing God, but they're robbing the people from the spiritual nourishment that they need, the spiritual communication. With God, they desperately need to live their Christian life, their believing life. So as we come to this parable, after the temple incident, which is about a vineyard and a vineyard owner, we ought to recognize that the vineyard is a common metaphor for the people of God, Israel. Then we ought to understand that the vineyard owner, the one who planted it, the one who created it, is God. Okay, It began with Abraham and then followed, but God created his own people then god gave prophets to manage the vineyard uh, not prophets he gave leaders into israel to manage the vineyard which we see here uh, the trouble is they make a mess of it they don't give to god what belongs to god rather they're keeping it back so god sends his servants these are the prophets in the old testament to go in to turn these people back to worshiping god the trouble is they don't They didn't listen to the the prophets of old. They they threw them out. They stoned them. They beat them. And Jesus is telling this parable to say, look, this is your history. This is a history lesson here. And this is a lesson to say, look, things haven't changed much, have they? But then he gets on very pointedly to the vineyard owner sending his son. And Jesus is telling them what they are going to do to him. They killed the son. It's no wonder that they thought that, that Jesus was speaking about them because Jesus was speaking about them. God's going to send his son and this is what you're going to do to him. God is going to send his son to give back to God what belongs to God. But instead of that happening, at first, it does happen, you're going to kill him. And so Jesus quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Um, this was the Lord's doing and it is marvellous in our eyes. Here's a summary then. God plants a vineyard. God appoints leaders. The leaders become greedy and they keep what belongs to God for themselves. God sends servants. The servants get beaten up and thrown out and even killed. Then God sends his son for the whole reason that this fruit of the vineyard is worship that needs to be given to God because God deserves to be worshipped. The prophets are rejected and now the son is not only rejected but killed. The tenants kill the son. God sends his son into the world and Jesus is saying, I know what's going to happen. We've been here before. Okay, You've done it to the prophets, now you're going to do it to Son, now it does seem at this point that those listening to Jesus do have enough perception because they understand that Jesus is speaking about them. Jesus has said just enough for them to pick up on all of these little clues to indicate that this is actually about us, this is actually about what we've done in our history, and this is actually about what we want to do to Jesus right now. And we want Jesus dead. They depart because you know they don't want to be found out for what they're doing and then they send others and this is where we pick it up in verse 13 the Pharisees and the Herodians are sent listen they are sent by the people who have just listened to the parable and this and therefore this question that they ask is motivated in response to what the parable is actually about so they ask Jesus this question is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar it's a trap The reason it's a trap, because if we pay taxes to Caesar, doesn't this compromise their devotion to God? The question is, are they devoted to God? Think about the question. They're asking a question about whether or not, if they pay tax, doesn't this compromise their devotion to God? And the answer that Jesus gives is the same answer that the parable is actually about. Are you actually giving to God what belongs to God? To God. Render to Caesar the things that belongs to Caesar, and give to God the things that belong to God. Now, before we go any further, here's something that we all need to know and we mustn't forget. And that is that God is in need of nothing. Don't take this negatively, but God doesn't need us, He doesn't need me, He doesn't need our worship, He doesn't need our praying. He doesn't need any of it. So if God is in need of nothing, which is certainly true, you've got to ask yourself the question, why does he want it? I mean, if he doesn't need it, why does he want it? And the issue is, give to God what belongs to God. The reason we worship God, though it is God that we worship, has really quite a lot to do with us. Because we become what we worship. We worship God not because God needs it. We worship God because we need it. And we're to give it to God because we become like what we worship. Now a man by the name of Irenaeus, back in the day, way back in the day. This will be after uh, John the Evangelist who was then followed by Polycarp. And just after Polycarp you have Irenaeus. That tells you roughly where we are. John the Evangelist, after that point, This is what he had to say. God himself, indeed having need of nothing, but granting communion with himself to those who stood in need of it, and sketching out like an architect the plan of salvation to those who pleased him. In other words, God doesn't need it. You need it. And the reason we are to give to God what belongs to God is not because God needs it. He's not sat there on a throne demanding that this be given to him because he needs it. He doesn't need it. It's to be given to him because it belongs to him. If worship doesn't benefit God, which it can't, because God is in need of nothing, if he needed it, then that means he would be lacking something. And therefore, if he was lacking something, he couldn't be God. So it's very crucial that you understand that if God is in need of nothing, there must be another reason why he wants you. And that is because he wants you. That's much better, isn't it? God doesn't need you, but he wants you. Every act of God's will is not because he needs it, but rather because he wants it. Every act of God's will concerning you is not because he needs you, but rather because he wants you. Everything that comes out of God's will is an act of love towards you. Not because he needs you, but because he wants you and he wants you through worship to share in him. Everything's his. The vineyard's his. The fruit is his. Everything is his and we are to share in what belongs to God. And worship is how we share in God, in a God who doesn't need us, but who wants to share himself with us is crucial. Absolutely crucial. So if God doesn't need us, we really have to think of why he wants us. And he wants us because every act of his concerning us is out of love. God sent his son, why? Out of love, before you. Not a feeling, but an action, a will, an intention, To make you his. So, the next point. Give to God what belongs to God. And don't hold it uh, back. This is the question that comes up to Jesus. Over the questions of paying taxes to Caesar. Is it lawful? In other words, are we breaking God's law when we pay taxes to Caesar? I would have just loved Jesus at this point to say yes. You think, i never have to pay tax again. I don't pay a lot, but I mean, boy oh boy, just imagine that. But then I think, well, no, we need the NHS, we need other things, so, you know. But is it lawful, that's the essence, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? In other words, won't this compromise my devotion to God? But remember the parable. Are they actually giving to God what belongs to God in the first place? No. So this question here is full of hypocrisy, which is exactly the thing that Jesus picks up on. He understands their hypocrisy. Will this compromise my devotion to God? They're effectively saying. So listen to the response of Jesus carefully. Number one. Give me a denarius. Do you have one? And then he gets the denarius. He receives the coin. He asks the question. Well whose likeness and inscription is on the coin? They say. Well of course Caesars. Jesus says. Okay. Well render to Caesar the things that are Caesars. And give to God the things that are God. Now. Now. Here's what can be inferred. If they're already carrying around the currency of Caesar, then they're already engaged in giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. I think that's a fairly careful, easy inference. They're already engaged in it. So there's the hypocrisy there. And the hypocrisy in light of the parables, the fact that they're not giving to God. So the idea of their devotion to God being compromised, already compromised, Even before we get to the taxes. Because they're not giving to God what belongs to God. Let alone the issue of giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. So Jesus says, yeah, we'll give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Here's the point. If Caesar has managed to get his image on it. Then give it to him. But make sure you give to God. That which he has got his image on. You. Give to Caesar the things that Caesar has managed to get his image on. But give to God the things that he has managed to get his image on. You. You are made in the image of God. You have God's likeness in you. And through worship, you are made into the image of his son more so every day. So sure, pay taxes... But give to God what belongs to God you belong to God and yet that's the issue that's what they're holding back remember the parable God sent his servants to turn God's people back to God give to God what belongs to God they didn't so God sent his son and they rejected him and they killed him. But Jesus comes saying I'll swear, that he has come to seek and to save the lost. But they killed him, they rejected him and he says this in Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and this is the Lord's doing and this is why it's marvellous. The reason why it's marvellous is because we don't give to God what belongs to God. It takes Jesus to do that. We constantly hold back from God on every single level. When we come face to face with God, we turn away. When we come face to face with his son, we want him dead. And yet through his death and resurrection is the very means by which Jesus gives to God what belongs to God. You read Romans 15. This is even put in the context of evangelism. That Paul says, I must go ahead and preach to the Gentiles uh, so that they are my offering to God. What's the offering? Well, a converted life for God. Why? Because a person is meant to worship God. They're meant to give to God what belongs to God. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. They're made in the very likeness of God. Go back to the beginning of the Bible, that's where you find that out, and it doesn't seem to change anywhere. But unlike the religious leaders, unlike the tenants, Jesus doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't rob God, rather he comes here to give to God what belongs to God, you. And so the foundation of all true worship is Jesus. The cornerstone. The rejected one, but who's become the cornerstone. Everything that is worth its value is built on Jesus. And you can't work out how precious Jesus Christ is by how many people build their lives on him. You just can't do that. You can't even get close to it. But everything that is worth value in the eyes of God is built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Jesus restores us to the image that was lost or marred at least, not lost, but marred through sin. Here's a few considerations then as we close. Jesus speaks in a parable to see whether or not you can pick up on what he's saying. And Jesus speaks in parables to see whether or not you really want to perceive and make the effort to understand what God is saying uh, to you. And for Jesus, the issue is clear. God created the world and everything in it, everything belongs to God, but we get to share in all of it. We get to share in all of it, but all of it belongs to God. You belong to God. Jesus isn't affirming here that it's right to take more than what we're owed. Caesar did that, unfortunately, That is something that Caesar did do. He robbed people out of taxes and tax collectors did the same. You know, we see that with Zacchaeus. They take more than what they should take. They're they're on the take. Jesus isn't affirming that, but what he is affirming is that on on a normal earthly level, you understand that you are to give what belongs to somebody else, to that person. Now on a level with God, if God owns everything and he has created everything, then everything belongs to God and you're to make sure that you're to give to God what belongs to God. You belong to God. So not only does your life belong to God, everything that comes from your life belongs to God. Everything in this world belongs to God. You know, I get, um, my view of the end time is fairly simple and that is I'm post-millennial which means that I'm historically optimistic about the future. And what that means is it's not only does people need saving, but everything needs saving. Okay, you can't save the world with politics, but politics needs saving. You can't save the world with economics, but economics needs saving. You can't save the world with care, but care needs saving. And it all, that spiritual transformation If it does not begin in the church, it will not happen in the world. Everything that belongs to God must be a given to God. So the cross, the rejected son who is then crucified, is not about what God needs, but it's about returning to God what belongs to God. Okay, It's not about what God needs, God is in need of nothing. Rather, it's about returning to God what belongs to God. And therefore, if your relationship with God cannot be explained in terms of need, at least from his side, it can from yours, then it must be explained in other ways, and that is that he wants you. God doesn't need you, but he wants you to share in his goodness, in himself. And that's why the people not only marveled at everything that Jesus said, they marvel all the way through the Gospels at what Jesus says. (coughs) But everyone faces the same problem that the rich young ruler does. And with this I'll finish. And that is we think that the the most dangerous sin is greed. I think greed is a dangerous sin. The other side of greed, which is a different kind of greed, is more powerful. And that's loss aversion. The rich young ruler didn't follow Jesus because he didn't want to lose what he had. He had all this wealth, and it made him sad. Jesus said, "Give it up, give it to the poor, come and follow me." <clears throat> the trouble is, is every single one of us in this building, whether we like it or not, make most of our decisions trying to avoid loss, even in marriages. You know, I don't think anybody should get divorced. There are some instances where, biblically, you can make the argument. But, you know, some people you know, don't want to lose their partner, not because they love them, but because they don't want to be on their own. Well, that, that type of motivation doesn't keep a marriage together. Okay? Uh, I want this and this because I don't want that. See, we're all engaged in loss aversion. You think about how many decisions you make in the course of your lifetime, so far, that have been based on that one principle of trying to avoid loss and to keep what you've got. More importantly, when it comes to God, how many people keep themselves from God by not wanting to lose what they have for themselves? Isn't that what you see in this parable? Do they not want to keep it for themselves? God's not like that. Give it to God, you, and God doesn't need anything. And God gives everything back for you to share in. That's the God you belong to. Rather, that is the God that anybody can belong to. Because he is God. Amen.